Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Tommy, Dan, Nathan, the Cowboys lost. I can't even tell you how happy that makes. It is amazing. I mean, I won't get into that in detail here because that's not what we're tasked to do. But this is market call. One o'clock on the East Coast makes it 10 a.m., I guess, on the West Coast and everything in between. Dan, how are you? I'm doing. I think what you're getting at here, guy, is any given Sunday. Yeah. That's kind of the vibe that you're you're having here a little bit. And you, you must be equally excited that you're New York Giants, other uh, NFC East rival, the the, the uh, Eagles. Yeah, just the got Eagles. Dismantled. I mean, Eagles come on. have been. I tell you what. I mean, talk about a franchise in disarray for the last month and a half, two yeah. months. I mean, Oof. they could not lose seemingly, and then something happened there. And this is not on the field stuff. It might say, again, nobody wants to hear me, but nope. this seems like something more happened in the locker room. This seems to be a chasm in that in that organization that. You know what? It's manifesting itself on the field because they didn't look like they wanted to play at all last night. But that's neither here nor there because we're talking about the market. And we do have a pretty interesting market on this Tuesday. Yeah. Let's go to the rundown. I love when we do platitudes like this. The most important chart in the markets, China stocks approaching key support. Yeah, they are. We've talked about the FXI for a while. And these semi-stocks. I mean, can you imagine where the market was today, would, would be today, if not for the strength in some of these semis, but that's what we're going to talk about, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, let's start, I, I guess, with that most important chart, because to me, as we think about, you know, Q4 earnings season, it got kicked off on Friday with some of those bank stocks. I mean, you know, we had been talking about JP Morgan. We've been talking about that kind of really steep up. I mean, look at that, man. I mean, you could have drawn that, that trend line that it had started to break, right? And then mm-hmm. to see that gap guy, like, like the gap to new all-time highs, okay? And if they want to pull up, maybe Amanda can pull up a five-year chart because you've been talking about that kind of double top level, right, from 2021 or so. But then to spend the entire day going lower and close on the low, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable. And maybe she can pull up a two- or three-day chart here. Like, that was a 7% reversal from Friday morning high to the low this morning. And let's see what happens. But that's a half a trillion dollar mark cap bank stock that everybody looks at. You know what I mean? So to me, had that possibly kind of been able to hold those gains, it might've been telling a different story about where investors are relative to the market. But guy, if we take out this morning's lows, I mean, to me, that's a totally different tune for Q4 earnings. Yeah. Well, look, I think the market finally came to the realization that despite the quarter, which I guess, you know, if you look at, again, not to go down in the rabbit hole here, but the knee jerk on JP Morgan after they reported was to take the stock lower, only then to subsequently see it going higher on some optimism, I guess. But I'll say this, it's a it's the most important bank in the world without question. It also happens to have gotten itself very expensive on the metrics that we talk about. And I think the market finally came to that realization. And to your point, if this thing starts to give it up a little bit, given those levels that we flagged for weeks, 
into earnings. I think that's problematic. And if we just want to throw up an XLF chart, just as they say for shits and giggles, Amanda, who's doing yeoman's work. By the way, a lot of people were worried about Amanda's been here, man. She is in the weeds. But if you look at a longer term chart of the XLF, you'll see again that we pushed up towards levels that seemingly are important. And, you know, seemingly are starting to roll over here. So all those bottoms that the market held, those support levels in October, again in March, again, pretty much in the fall of this year. You know, I think there's sort of, there you go. There is sort of a bullseye on yep. those, especially if J.P. Morgan gives it up here, Dan. Well, yeah. And if J.P. Morgan gives it gives it up, it's probably going to be because Morgan Stanley's down nearly 5% in the day. So maybe they can pull that up after the earnings report this morning. Goldman Sachs, uh, obviously, these are two very different businesses, Morgan and Goldman, long, long thought, you know, more tied towards capital market activity, less about lending, right? But look at how these stocks are trading right now. Morgan Stanley's down nearly $4, um, you know, approaching that moving average, giving back. I think this is important, guy. That two-day move in yeah. mid-December around the Fed meeting, right, where it was the pivot, right? Like that was the big pivot, and that was supposed to be great the re-steepening, the whole shebang, right? You know what I mean? Well, here we are. We've given all of that back. Then let's pull up Goldman for a second here because, again, look at that. I mean, that's a really interesting flag. Is that on its way back down? So, again, why is that JP Morgan the most important chart that I think in the stock market? Because I really do think, well, the underperformance out of this sector over the last year has been obvious. The outperformance of late signaled something very different about the market, different about the economy, I think, than you and I feel deal is the consensus. Yeah, if we can go back to that Morgan just we're going to go back to Goldman Sachs in a second, but you look at this Morgan Stanley chart and what you'll see is that little island that was created on that gap up like many stocks gapped up obviously late last year. So you have that little island then you have that basically the island's been created by the gap lower today. So you see that and the moving average should theoretically be support. Now let's go to the Goldman Sachs chart because unlike Morgan Stanley you have this island as well. It has not been created yet, but you have a number of gaps to be filled, not least of which the gap we saw probably in November-ish around the 320, I don't know, three. let's call it 315 yeah. to 320 level. So all these things are absolutely in play. And I want to be clear, we're not stating that the, the size of the banks are significant in terms of the broader market. The banks are not going to drag down the broader market in terms of their size and scope. However, the banks are important in terms of the ramifications for the economy and what they're telling on a bigger story. So yeah. that's why the banks are important, in my opinion, Dan. Yeah, I, listen, I, I would make the argument that that they could draw it down. I mean, like, because if the, you know, we heard all about this broadening out away from the MAG-7, this was the story of, you know, November and December, you know, and if these stocks were a beneficiary, you and I were pointing out on many occasions, just the combined market caps just don't do, you know, you put them all together and you don't even get yourself, you know, in NVIDIA for all intents and purposes or, or you know, that sort of thing. Maybe it's a trillion and a half dollars of market cap, but let's throw up this um, calendar for earnings this week, okay? Because we don't really get into many tech earnings, but it's more uh, financials. And so when you look at a bunch of those names, they're in the regional banking index. Let's pull up the KRE for a second here, because this is one I think is kind of important guy. I mean, if there are any sorts of you know, like disappointments here. I know a lot mm -hmm. of focus on these mark to market, you know, held to maturity portfolios, but this one could be on its way back to that kind of moving average. And um, I think from a sentiment standpoint, it is important, you know, because this is a sector that a lot of people thought if the Fed was going to start cutting rates because they could, because inflation's coming down and the economy is in a soft landing, then this should be a sector that does well, right? 
I agree with you 100%. I mean, regional banks, to me, there's still some hiccups along the way. I think a lot of people talk about Sheila Bear has made comments over the last few, over the last six to nine months, quite frankly. She's been talking about it since Silicon Valley Bank. She has still some concerns. I tell you what, if you put that calendar up real quick again, I know this is going to be out of left field, but the one I'm looking at is Thursday, J.B. Hunt. And if you could put up a JBHT chart, Amanda, you'll see what I'm looking at. Now, this is a stock that I think made its all-time high, I want to say, in March of 2022, only to give it back, and then only subsequently of three or four times to make pushes towards those levels, only to fail. Now, here we are at 190, seemingly having trouble at resistance. So it's going to be fascinating to hear what they say in terms of the importance they are in the shipping world. So yeah. I'm looking at all these things, but J.P. Hunt sticks out to me for sure. Well, and let, you see let, the chart right there. Yep. Well, it's a, it, it actually is a great looking chart. I mean, like the truth is the more it kind of back and fills and Agreed. holds that moving but, average. But but let me show you a chart that it is a component of the IYT that you put uh, in, throttle. on our radio. Yeah. yeah. So so this is this is the uh the, the IYT is the transports. And so look at this move from late October, okay, in the IYT. If we just want to look at it on a one-year basis right now, um, and, and then we'll go back to the the, the multi it's making new 52-week lows, right? And it never made a new 52-week high, which I do think is interesting, but it's having a tough day. And on a day like today, guy, when I look at some of the members of the IYT, they're not doing particularly great. Um, and so I just think that's kind of worth noting. And I, I, I appreciate what you have to say about uh, JB Hunt because their guidance, I think, is going to be impactful, especially when you consider what we've heard out of FedEx and, and some of these others over the last month or so. Well, I'll say this, and Carter can talk far more intelligently than I in terms of, you know, individual stocks, we see gaps all the time and I get it. But to see, you know, in an ETF, you would think there would be a smoothing mechanism that does not lend itself to creating gaps either on the upside or the downside. Yet, if you look at this, and this is obviously the IYT, you do have a couple uh, gaps on the downside that have yet to be filled from November that are absolutely concerning. So, you know, I mentioned JB Hunt in the context of this, you see these highs that we traded up to in a short period of time. You mentioned it. We went from 52-week lows to 52-week highs in probably, I don't know, Dan, four or five weeks or so maybe yeah. around that, which, again, is pretty dramatic. And now here we are seemingly failing at those prior highs. That's problematic. So J.B. Hunt on Thursday, obviously, we're going to talk about FedEx and UPS as well. But if you start to lose the transports and if the banks are rolling over and the only thing supporting the market is, again, semis in these high flyers. I mean, I, I don't know. That's a bit yeah. problem. That's a bit concerning, I should say. It, it is. I just real quickly, let's pull up the FedEx chart. Carter um has a note out and we're charting today. So hopefully we'll hit that tomorrow um on FedEx and UPS. But mm -hmm. he says FedEx is heretofore a strong stock that's rolling over. Uh we're sellers here. I mean look at that thing. I mean that is holding on for dear life right at that uh you know that gap level which it has been able to hold um you know holding on to the the 200-day moving average. Yeah. So we'll keep a close eye on that. Um, let's talk about the semis because, again, Barclays goes from $120 of a price target with numbers going up um, in AMD to a $200 target, talking about a lot of stuff that we already know about. There's been plenty of upgrades in AMD. The stock has obviously been rallying. But for the stock to be up 7% right now, I think it was up close to 9% guy maybe an hour or two ago, mm -hmm. just on that, making new 52-week highs. It was within a few percent of its all-time highs. 
Um, that's kind of nuts, you know, like in, in the straight line, maybe they can pull up a one, one year chart. So, you know, again, I've been mentioning this with charts that look like that guy that look like V's. Okay. They look a lot like the S and P does over the last two years that made a new all time high in the first week of 2022, you know, to get back to that prior level and then to break out and make a new range, you know, there needs to be a total new paradigm for that security, in my opinion, right? Whether it's a valuation story, and that is clearly what happened in NVIDIA and a handful of other names, but I'm not sure we're ready to anoint AMD part of the MAG-8. No, if, I'm not either. I mean, it's a, it's a great company, but if Amanda can do a longer-term chart, you'll see the point that you're making at the levels we're trading at now. I mean, that's quasi-concerning, I think, because again, you can see what that prior high was. Now, I'll say this as well. Stock has already traded 115-ish. It's traded 75 million shares today. I want to say it typically trades about 55 to 60 million shares. So it's on pace-ish to trade about two times normal volume on the back of this upgrade at levels, again, that have gotten themselves in a bit of a nosebleed territory. So just keep your eye on this as well. In order for this, it has gotten from, listen, I know this for a fact, Dan. When they reported the last quarter earnings, I think the stock closed around 97 or so. And the knee jerk was to take it lower. And I remember saying on Fast Money, that the market is once again zigging when it should zag. And this is not a quarter where you should be selling the stock. You should be buying on the back of the quarter they released. And within days, I think the stock was 110. Now, if I'm being 100% honest, which I typically am, I never thought we'd be at these levels that we are right now, but here we yeah. are. So it went from being reasonable valuation you know, a couple months ago to, in my opinion, gotten itself expensive once again. So just keep this in mind. And AMD, by the way, is a stock that if you go back and look, historically trades back to uh, moving averages. So when you get to a couple standard deviations away like we are now, that historically has been somewhat of a bit of a warning sign. So you can go back over this chart and look, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and, and again, the move that we're seeing in NVIDIA over the last kind of week and a half from 490 to where it is today, uh, 560 is truly um, remarkable. But it also shows you just the, the concentration that is just increasing. And so we can keep saying it until we're blue in the face. Uh, sooner or later, it's going to matter. And just just let's throw up a, a one year of the AMD for a second, because, you know, if the stock can rally on a day like today where the NASDAQ and the S&P are basically down, you know, without a couple of these stocks, if you can rally, can you imagine how hard the stock will sell off if they miss and guide down. I mean, like that, that's kind of the point I want to make. And I think we're probably on the precipice um, for some of that guy, you know, if you will, but um, let's, let's broaden things out a little bit. There's a little fed speak here. They're talking about, this is, this is, uh, this is uh, what fed Waller Waller Fed can cut interest rates in 2024. If inflation stays down, okay, thank you. I mean, like, I think isn't that the reason why um, the stock market had rallied the way it did in November um, in December? I'm becoming more confident that we are within striking distance of achieving a substantial level of 2% PCE inflation. Now, here's the thing, guy. We saw a lot of other Fed folks come out and they talked a bit more hawkish. You know what I mean? Um, and that was one of the reasons why I think that we saw Fed funds futures. If we look at the CME Fed funds futures, the probability of a cut in March had come down over the last few weeks or so. Um, I don't know. What, 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 what's your thoughts here? Are we seeing, are we going to start seeing a, a lot of volatility in what these Fed folks are saying back and forth? I mean, Paul, uh, the short answer is yes. Here's the CME FedWatch tool. So keep your eye on that. And then just put up a chart of the TLT. I mean, you see the volatility there. And once again, 
bond volatility is back in spades in terms of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So that's obviously a little longer term. But if you just look over the last couple of days, I mean, the move we've seen has been, again, in a word, pretty dramatic. There you go. So what does that mean? I, you know, you know the way, you know my view on this whole thing. I think people are underestimating the stickiness of inflation. I know yeah. all this Fed speak out there and the fact that they can cut rates. I'm not confident that that can happen, number one. But more importantly, I think that's exactly what the, the market has absolutely priced in the best of the best possible outcomes, not only for the economy, but for the Federal Reserve. And if you believe that to be the case, then you stay bullish of equities. If you think there's going to be a hiccup along the way, then I think you have to be concerned with some of these stocks and where they've gotten on evaluation. Yeah. And, and, and again, I mean, this is something we kind of highlighted in a way that as soft landing became consensus over the last few months or so and the stock market rallied and rates came in, we've also seen a bunch of data. And this is a great tweet from Lizanne Saunders, a Schwab guy. I think you pointed this out earlier. January Empire Manufacturing Index plunged to 43.7. That's a negative versus a negative five estimate and a negative 14.5 prior. Interestingly, index was never this negative week during the global financial crisis, new yeah. orders sank. So when you look at that, okay, and then you look at you know some of this other data that we're seeing um, about China, okay? So like for some reason, like a lot of these really smart folks and you and I are not economists um, and, you know, we're not, you know, like strategists at big banks or this or whatever, like we're ignoring the weakness that we're seeing in China. And and I just remember for the 20 years prior to just a couple of years ago, that that was like China was the engine for mm-hmm. much of our future growth, if you will. And so when, what was that saying? When, when, when China would, would sneeze, you know, the global economy would catch a cold. Well, we don't seem to care about that anymore. Talk to me about that. Well, here's the FXI. And if, again, there's your headline, Bloomberg headline, just keep your eye on that. But if a man can pull up a chart, you know, you want to go back to the great financial crisis, you know, go back 16 years or so, you'll see the 21 and a half or so in the FXI. That was support. Thank you. That was support in October. And that was obviously support way back when. And here we are, Dan, right at the precipice of that. And I think your point is well taken that the market, you know, it's it's amazing when the when things happen that sort of fortify or galvanize a certain narrative people will jump on that bandwagon. But it doesn't suit the narrative. And that goes on both ways. I'm guilty of it as well. But when it doesn't suit the narrative, this time, you know, China being weak is not the, as important as it was, then they sort of look past it. The weakness in China can't be ignored, I don't think. And the FXI, I still think, is one of the more important charts out there. So we're right around that 22 level now. I'll say again for the hundredth time, 21 and a half is absolutely a big deal. And if you get back to levels we saw in 08 and 09, you have to ask yourself, really, what is taking place in the world? And again, that manufacturing data, if you want to throw up the Lizanne Saunders tweet, because you know I won't do it justice, you can read. I mean, again, go back and look what she was comparing yeah. it to. I mean, these we talk about, you know, sigma events, two sigma events. You know, the number they got today is like a two, three sigma event. You know, it's so again, people say you're cherry picking, but this is now become a trend in in terms of uh, some of the data we've seen over the last few months. Yeah, there was an article in Barron's this morning that I was reading. Um, it's the second uh, highest ranking Chinese official behind President Xi is is Ch- the, the Premier Li. And he was uh, in an interview or actually gave a speech um, in Davos, I guess, today um, was talking, you know, trying to talk up the economy. There was headlines about, you know, um, 159 billion, you know, stimulus, uh, you know, uh, like a whole host of things. And, and look at the way 
you know, the FXI trades, obviously the Shanghai composite um, is closed, you know, by the time that he was giving this speech, but not trading particularly well, very near 52 week lows or so. And you see the FXI to your point going back. So, you know, sooner or later, you know, we're going to see that and maybe it's in some of these semiconductors and we see what orders look like from China. We're already seeing there's a headline in, in um, Bloomberg today, guy. I've never seen this. Okay. This is, this is Apple discounting phones in China by 5%. I, I've never seen that. Like Apple doesn't, di- on Black Friday, they don't discount their phones or anything like that, right? So, you know, there's there's a weak demand from cons- at least Chinese consumers for US products right now. We're seeing it with Tesla. We're seeing it with Apple. Um, let's see if all of this kind of tit for tat that we have with all these export bans as it relates to chips and the like. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what this Huawei phone is doing to Apple iPhone demand. And we're going to get a good read of that in the next week or so. Well, I mean, the point you make about Apple, one of the reasons, you know, you had three downgrades within the course of a few days a couple of weeks ago, at the beginning of the year, effectively. And, you know, in large part, valuation was one of the concerns. But what you just cited was a concern as well. And again, you know, people will point out that, you know, Apple is the granddaddy of them all and they're impervious. They are not impervious to business cycles either. And they're not impervious to a weakening consumer across the globe either. And at a certain point, valuation does matter. So, you're obviously seeing that weak. You know, Apple has been weak. The well, not the majority, the entirety of this very young year, and I think that's something you also yeah. have to watch. Well, that chart is pretty fascinating, right? If you look at it, it's back to the lows that it was just a week ago. It's sitting right on its moving right average. Moving average. And, and and to your point, you know, like all of those stocks in the Mag Seven guy that we've talked about, Nvidia, it's up a lot on the year. Uh, Meta's up five percent. Uh, Amazon's up. Alphabet's up. Microsoft's up. Apple is down five percent of the year. So it seems like investors are really diversifying away from this one. It's interesting that Microsoft has overtaken Apple um, in market cap terms as a company that does not have a generative AI product that they're actually hawking. We know that the Vision Pro is coming out in the next couple of weeks. That's an AR, VR headset, very high price point. Expectations for sales there have come down dramatically at a $3,500 price point. So they're not even in the game in generative AI until we get to June with their worldwide developers for them. I mean, there might be rumors about stuff that they're doing so there's not a commercialized product until they upgrade Siri, you know, which I know you use all the time. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of you know, left out of the game for a bit. And to your point, if you just go back and look at that move off the October lows guy, um, it was making new six month lows and then got back to the prior all time highs. That was because of passive investing. It wasn't because of people excited about any products that they had. Say it all the time. And it's funny, I saw Kara Swish on one of the shows over the weekend, and she was talking about exactly that, this device that Apple's going to roll out and how she's going to wear it on air. But, you know, listen, I get it. I mean, it, it is going to be an interesting launch for them without question, but it doesn't, is it going to move the needle enough where the valuations concerns sort of abate? I don't think the answer to that is yes. So Apple does go down as well. And, you know, this Taiwan election, which I think the outcome was um, expected. But again, not particularly good for China-Taiwan relationships. It's be interesting to see what happens in the United States uh, side of the equation in terms of you know our support of Taiwan and how that. And oh, by the way, you know North Korea, South Korea. You know Kim Jong Un is seemingly uh, rattling some sabers. So a lot of things to be concerned about in a in a section of the world that is vitally important to these technology companies. Yeah. And, and, you know, just going back to the growth stuff that we're talking about, Guy, in China in general, let's 
Let's pull up a crude chart here because I think this is kind of interesting. It's kind of been banging around in this kind of 70 to 74 sort of range. It really can't find any meaningful direction. If you were to, you see the little, you can draw a little mm -hmm. pennant there if you like. If you wanted to draw a trend line, you know, from the highs back there at 95, you know, it gets you to a point where it's trying to break out. It's almost at that level, but is not. And, you know, this also led me to believe, guys, like when I'm looking at, you know, like, some of the transports again, I'm looking at some of these, uh, like, like some of these airlines are getting absolutely throttled today. We see the stuff that's going on in the red sea. Right. And so what does that mean to disruption of supply chains and just, just a lot of headlines that, you know, and I'm not trying to like scare anybody, but they're, like, they're not great. You know, they're not great for bringing it back to S and P 500 earnings where we know 40 some percent of the earnings come from outside the U S right. And we're talking about weak China growth and we're talking about weakness in Europe that we know exists. We're talking about a war in the middle East that has the potential to disrupt, not just oil prices, but shipping prices and the like. We have the situation in Ukraine that continues two years on it's just a lot of stuff where if you're still expecting 11% or 10, 11% earnings growth for the S&P 500 seems like a bit of a pipe dream. And then per fact set, you have you know, the S&P trading above its five and 10 year averages near 21 times forward earnings that we think are way mm -hmm. too high. Like then the stock market is too expensive. And it's man, listen, and everything, you, yes, 100%. And everything you're talking about is manifesting itself today, at least in some of these resource stocks like Freeport McMoran, for example, up that chart again a name that had a pretty significant rally from the november lows into yeah. late december only to give a third of it back and now we're approaching obviously the moving average there as well so you know the concerns that you're talking about are manifesting themselves not only in the energy stock specifically and the underlying commodity but some of these resource uh, names as well and part of that by the way the weakness in the resources on top of everything we just talked about is obviously the strength in the dollar which is basically piggybacking on the move higher in yields once again. All these things are interconnected. Yeah, on the yield front, let, let's pull up a 10-year yield because, um, you know, we're, we're, this is a big move today, right? Yeah. Like, like, think about that. I mean, like, and maybe they can pull up the intraday. Um, you know, I looked at one point this morning and it like, like it was just flatlined at 4%. And now look at that move. I mean, like, look at that move. And you talked about bond volatility. You've been talking about it for years, just how kind of abnormal it is. And, you know, I guess the main story about this volatility is that it actually hasn't worked its way into equities for all intents and purposes, because we still have a VIX, you know, that is what, like 13 or something doesn't get us oh, 14 now. So it's up a bit today. And then you have that move index, right? Which measures the volatility mm -hmm. of the treasury market. And when you have that, considerably more volatile than you do the VIX, but it's come in really hard of late, like that sets up for some sort of movement that people are not expecting. And I just want to go back quickly, Guy, to what you just said about NVIDIA and AMD rallying the way they are, where would the market be without them? So I look, I look forward to earnings season, or like really big tech earnings that are going to start next week, next Wednesday or so, you know, Alphabet, was down 9% after they reported their Q3. If there's any big disasters in one day in any of those big names, I just don't see like what else can support the market at this point because we're already seeing energy gone. We could maybe see transports go. We could see financials go, you know, that sort of thing. If big cap joins the party, we're going lower. No, I agree with that for sure. Uh, and that's been my concern for a while that, again, seemingly a smaller and smaller group of names are just supporting this entire thing. And one by one, I mean, 
you know, if we lose Apple, then subsequently some of these uh, semi names. By the way, if you listen to some of these ancillary players talking about double ordering and demand destruction, yep. you know, we don't mention it. You know, the Samsung, I think it was a week or so ago, some of the commentary of that, it's got to be both surprising and concerning, I would think. Real quick, Dan, let's take a look at Slumberger because they report, we mentioned it on that earlier slide. Nice job by Timmy. They have an implied move of about 3% up or down into earnings. You know what I feel about this. You know, I still think there's a lot of room to the upside, but like many things, a lot of these stocks have sort of gone pear-shaped over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, let's pull up the OIH too. And so that one uh, reports on Friday. It's a big component, right, of, of the oil service um, ETF. And, uh, you know, again, could it pop? Could it fill in that gap? Does it get above its downtrend? I just don't see a scenario guy that's playing out with, you know, crude oil and some of the dynamics that are going on in election year and the sort of headlines. But that is not a great looking chart. I mean, that looks much worse than the, the Schlumberger. So again, might we see the sort of reaction in a Schlumberger? Maybe they're able to put up some good results and give decent guidance, but maybe investors are starting to say, this is as good as it gets. That's clearly what they did with like a JP Morgan and some of these other bank earnings, which, you know, those charts looked a lot different. They're lower left, upper right. This thing has been in a well-defined downtrend since making 52 week highs over the summer. So, so like, it's weak. You know, the underpinnings are weak. And let's pull up XLE real quick, because not only do we have a chart, we have some of the components in there, basically the weighting in the ETF or yes, the weighting in the ETF and subsequently their year to date performance. You'll see. I mean, none of them are performing pretty well, uh, particularly well. And here we are at pretty interesting, pretty uh, important support levels. So I think your point Looking at the commodity, then sort of taking it out and looking at the underlying components makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to the dollar, the US dollar that you mentioned, Guy, a little bit earlier. And, and so, you know, you're saying that, you know, maybe that's one of the things kind of weighing on crude a little bit. Look at the move today in the Dixie, the US dollar index. I mean, this is, you know, a really big move uh, for, you know, the US dollar. Maybe, yeah, there, there, there it is. And that doesn't look too different than what we've seen in yields, right? So you're seeing those sort of move together. Um, you know, to me, a higher dollar, lower growth, you know, all that sort of stuff, like, would not be a great thing, again, for S&P earnings, especially when you consider how much of the S&P relies on sales outside the US that might be weaker anyway. Before we get out of here, and I agree with you, by the way, the dollar, people don't take it into consideration. And the dollar volatility has been something to watch as well. But, you know, that tailwind of a weaker dollar, again, to use the word, is abated without question. And it's quickly becoming a bit of a headwind. Let's take a look at Bitcoin because, yeah. you know, people might go back and say that week in early January of 2024 put in a pretty short term top in terms of the in terms of all the announcements around Bitcoin. And I will tell you, having traded up to 49000 and change, I think the move lower is probably not surprising, but it's the beginning of something bigger, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I agree. I don't know how you don't sell it and sell it again. I mean, I know that all these ETFs, they have to buy the spot. This was a really interesting article in the journal. Uh, I think it was yesterday, just basically talking about, you know, the, and we had Brian Kelly, our good friend who runs a digital assets fund. He's been in the game for a decade. He wrote a book in 2013 called The Bitcoin Big Bang. Um, yours truly, Guy, was mentioned, or I had a little write-up in a bit because I got to read it. I didn't should have mm. bought Bitcoin then, but I didn't. Um, you know, he's been in the game a long time. And again, I asked him on Fast Money the other night, you know, like, you know, why Bitcoin exists, it wasn't to kind of re-enter the 
traditional financial markets with guys like Larry Fink from BlackRock, you know, wanting a Bitcoin ETF and, you know, all these other organizations. So it's just kind of interesting to me. And this article highlights a bunch of those points. Maybe they're fast money fans. But to me, again, and you've talked about this as it relates to gold, they're basically saying that the Bitcoin ETF ushers in the the just the the the, the world of just digital gold. It's not too different than the GLD or, or something like that. Thoughts on that? Because again, and it also says it poses risk to performance of it because there was something about the scarcity of the coins, right? And the way in which you had to buy them and hold them and what you were willing right. to do with them that caused these huge price increases. Now, obviously, there was a lot of enthusiasm about buyers, new institutional buyers who would add them to these ETFs, but might that kind of play out not too differently than gold when it would, uh, what was that, 20 years ago when it started that ETF? Yeah, I mean, I listen, again, not knowing, I'm nowhere near up the curve in terms of understanding what, I'll be the first person to say that, but what I will say in terms of understanding how markets work, I mean, part, part of the bull thesis for gold for a long time, and then subsequently Bitcoin was sort of that scarcity thing. But when you create an ETF around it, I think that is, again, somewhat mitigates what was, again, one of the factors that, that was appealing to in terms of gold, the commodity and Bitcoin, whatever the hell you call Bitcoin. So I think it actually is the the initial reaction was bullish. I think like the gold ETF, I think you're going to see a period of sideways to lower action for the foreseeable future, just like gold did. So it works for it until it doesn't. And I think it takes a little of the cachet away, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, that's kind of an interesting one to hit, especially in a day where the dollar's doing what it's doing. Um, and maybe you could just say that's why, you know, it's down here um, a little bit. But I think one thing is is abundantly clear. Uh, Bitcoin is not a currency, people, because you're not buying your pizza with it. And you know what I mean? Like the scarcity is the scarcity. So why would you ever transaction it? Um, we covered a lot. Of, did we cover everything on the rundown, guy? We, we did. Covered everything? We did. We did. And we thank folks again. Rangers play tonight. Seattle in town. Um, we covered a lot. Nick's lost yesterday. You know, that's first, you know, I want to give him a pass because they've been playing pretty well. But when the Knicks are leading in the fourth quarter, especially at home, it's a game they got to put away. I know you know that as well. I do. Know um, for you Met fans out there, another day, another non-signing. Good for you. We will be back tomorrow. Wednesdays are now EY from SoFi days, are they not? Yeah, that's exciting. I'm part it of is exciting. That. So we'll, we'll probably our... go a little OT, guy. Oh, that's right. Questions. We will go OT. With the, the, you know what? Correct. And if you haven't yet, uh, you got to sign up for the YouTube. You got to right. You got to subscribe. Doesn't cost you anything. Just a mouse click away. So do that as well. Yeah. So smash that subscribe button, as Jacob likes to say. So all right, that was a lot of fun, guy. We covered again a lot. Oh, ground. We'll be back with EY from SoFi tomorrow. Thanks to CME Group. Thanks to FactSet. We'll see you all tomorrow. Uh-huh.